Hi, I'm Danny Elfman. This is Shirley Manson. This is Debbie Harry. This is Chris Steiner Blondie. This is Roland Orzabal from Tears for Fears. This is Billy Idol. This is Alex Ebert, a.k.a. Edward Sharp, giving the story behind the song. Hi, this is Peter Chotty, host of the story behind the song. Each month I speak to some of music's biggest artists to get the inside stories behind their most lasting and iconic songs. Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Stop the Presses formed in South Florida in 2010 and moved to New York five years later. It was there that the group really found their sound. Pop meets ska, with no horns and an emphasis on keyboards and vocal harmonies. Their vibe is 60s through the 80s. And on their last two records, 2019's Money in the Bank and their recently released Got It, They worked with Agent J of the Slackers to sonically craft their records exactly how they envisioned them. Today, we talked to three members of the group, Allie, Danny, and Carol, and we dig into the new record, the band's history, and their many tales with RVs. Aaron, when people talk about ska, what's one of the elements that they say, oh, all ska bands have this? Horns. Yes. But stop the presses? No horns. Yeah. I really appreciate ska bands that can do it with no horns. I've noticed actually that uh, bands of this newer generation are emphasizing keyboards a lot more than uh, like Stop the Presses, Cat Bite, Bad Operation. I really like that keyboards taking a front role in ska bands again. Yeah, me too. More organ driven ska, please. More keyboard driven ska. The other thing that they have that maybe the other bands don't have is a, is a heavy emphasis on vocal harmonies. Yes. Uh, how good are you at vocal harmonies, Aaron? I am amazing. <laughs> you actually are. Uh, not really. You're pretty good. Yeah, I'm the best singer. <laughs> Before we get into Stop the Presses, I want to talk a little bit about Rude Girl Review, since I believe we have two members of the review here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me, I just want to hear a little bit of your story about getting involved with it. You know, both of your stories, I don't know if they're the same or if they're a little different. Yeah, Allie was a original member, um, was part of their first show with, uh, at, at a, oh my gosh. At Supernova. Supernova, of course. Right. Um, and I think once that gig happened, you know, they did some restructuring of how they wanted the band to run. I think they needed some more rhythm section players. Um, and I play bass, you know, as well as singing. Uh, so it was, it was a good fit. Um, so that's how I got involved. Ali recommended me, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, and yeah, it was, it's been a great ride ever since. Ali, so tell me about 
did they reach out to you at some point as they were putting the project together? Yeah, so Kristen Forbes um, and Jenny Whiskey both had reached out to me about playing keys and singing a couple of songs at Supernova. Uh, they were really trying to get like, you know, every, every, like a woman from every band that was playing at the festival, which was awesome. So you were already playing. So Stop the Presses was already scheduled to play. Yep. We were scheduled to play. And um, gosh, what a, what a festival. It was really something spectacular. Uh, both sets were were incredible. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we were scheduled to play. Then when um, Jenny and Kristen were like, you know, and Tara, of course, um, Tara was also a big part of uh, putting this together. Um, after Supernova, we knew that we wanted to do a few more shows together. And, you know, East Coast, we're all like kind of Northeast. I said, um, yeah, we got to bring in my girl. We got to bring in Carol. She plays bass. She's incredibly <laughs> talented, a, f- a fabulous singer. Um, what about my girl? What about my girl? No, I didn't. I'm just <laughs> Good to have an advocate like that for you. I'm very grateful. Yeah, Carol, I was pretty pumped to, like, I only knew that you were a singer. And then I saw on Instagram, it popped up a video of you playing bass. <laughs> It was really awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I got my first bass when I was 16. Um, played in bands throughout high school and college. Uh, a lot of punk, a lot of indie, um, some R&B. Uh, so this has kind of been my first dive into ska and, um, you know, reggae, dub, bass. Um, wow. But that's been really exciting because, you know, Jade has been a really wonderful teacher uh, and you know, Hatchet has some wonderful feedback and recommendations for me. Getting to play with Allie in a rhythm section has been s- something really special to me. Um, so it's been an incredible experience. That's awesome. What is it like playing a uh, ska and reggae bass compared to the other styles that you've already played? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's laid back. You know, you're you're holding back and trying not to jump on the beat. Um, which you know, I feel like sometimes I will do in something like uh, punk or uh, even some of the disco and R&B stuff, you know, you're really on the one. Um, but it's a lot about laying back and, uh, you know, holding back on the beat. And that's been like a new experience as a bass player for me. I, I hadn't, hadn't even realized that you were new to playing uh, like ska and reggae on the bass. Like from that video, I was like, I was like, oh, dang. <laughs> this must have been a thing you've been doing for a while. Oh, man. Well, um, you know, I, I, I really got into ska um, when I met Allie and Danny. Uh, so that was only in like 2017 um, when I joined Stop the Presses, uh, played my first show with them. It was, you know, like a dive into a new genre for me. Um, so, you know, I've been listening a lot over that time and uh, mm-hmm. absorbing what I can, um, but getting to apply it to, to bass uh, was a new experience for sure. Nice. I just want to back up really quick. When, when you were 16... What was the first thing you learned how to play on bass? Oh my gosh. Um, a system of a down song uh, was definitely the first thing I learned how to play on bass. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So Ali, um, I don't know, is this, I don't know if this is a uh, rude girl review specific thing or a you thing, but you, you go by Lady Skaga. Is that for rude girl girl only? No, that's, that's just a, Instagram handle. Yeah. Just a okay. funny, like a funny thing, you know? I'm officially Allie Presses. I, I'm married to, to Danny Presses, so I'm officially. And my child is uh, South Presses. It's a bunch of it's a bunch of people. 
at Supernova, you saying uh, respect. Is that what you're saying at Supernova? Saying respect. Um, and I sang a medley uh, with Tara Han from uh, Half Past Two. And we did like an Express Yourself and, of course, a Lady Gaga song, um, Born This Way. I do love Lady Gaga. I love a lot of like divas and stuff. So, yeah, it's fun. Was that your first experience actually embodying Lady Skaga? Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> I, well, I mean, you know, yeah, I think, I think so, maybe. It's always been there, right? <laughs> I, you know, I, I have like a lot of different alter egos, you know? <laughs> like what? Um, there's definitely like a little Gwen uh, alter ego. You know, it's kind of like a, a strange story. Um, but it like it helps you kind of get out of yourself sometimes. So when I met so when I met Danny, like I never like you know, like I was in bands in high school, but I like played keys and like screamo bands and like they weren't like they weren't they weren't like bands, you know, we were just messing around. And um so like when I moved to Miami I met Danny and we and I auditioned for his band. I was like kinda nervous, especially in the Miami like punk scene and everything. It's like it's hard, you know. Um, and so like part of me being a better performer on stage was trying to embody a, an alter ego. And so I think like, you know, just throughout the years, I kind of have been uh, inspired by different, uh, female, just, you know, badasses. So that the, the alter ego that you embodied, uh, when you did, when you first played with Danny, who, what, what was the alter ego? Oh my God. I don't, um, probably at that time was like my little Gwen face. Yeah. So between Gwen and uh, Lady Skaga, have there been others? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, like, oh my God, Bikini Kill, you know? Um, like we're now just doing Rebel Girl and everything like that, um, I, I just, you know, I love that band so much. Um, I think I try to embody that as well. Um, but, I, you know, like now it's more, I mean, I don't know. This is all just, it's all, it's all for fun, you know? Yeah. Was it your decision to cover Rebel, Rebel Girl on the new record? Actually, we were approached um, to do a compilation. Uh, for specialized. Oh, okay. And it was all about uh, riot girl movement and and female empowerment songs. Um, and we looked on the list, and you know, just being a fan of Bikini Kill, I saw we, you know, Danny and I saw Rebel Girl. I was like, oh my god, Danny, we got to pick this one. And you know, certain cir- circumstances, there was some family, um, you know, emergencies and a couple of things that happened. Um, with uh, our members, um, with Danny and with Steve, just kind of like, you know, prolonged the recording process for us. So we were supposed to do Rebel Girl for the comp, but um, the way that it came out, I mean, like, I feel like Danny and I started demoing it. And then within a week, our demo was completed. And it was like, all right, guys, we've got we've got the song for you. <laughs> it was really fast. It was, it was a lot of fun. That one actually, okay, so... Interestingly enough, um, the beginning is definitely uh, a nod to Dolly Parton, whom we all yeah, love as a five. band. Yeah, yeah. Whom we all love as a band is a great fake out too. Like <laughs> playing this, <laughs> but um, 
I remember Danny and was like, we should just do Rebel Girl, like super Rudy ska. And I was like, oh yeah, I totally dig that. And I, you know, we have like a home recording set up here, especially since the pandemic. And this this whole record really was like a pandemic record for us. We we did a lot of it at home or like at our rehearsal space together. Um, but anyway, yeah, I was like, I wonder if Florence and the Machine, like I wonder if that singer was like singing this you know, this version. And I guess that's where this whole, like, you know, rumbly beginning came from, like why I started singing in that tone. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> that's who I was embodying at that time. I, I love, <laughs> I love so much. I'm so inspired by so many different artists that um, it really lets me play around a lot. So, I mean, this is all play for me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's not like art gets created in a vacuum. You're going to be influenced by whatever you're listening to yeah just whatever's going on around you you know totally i'm curious something about the video I've, I've been wondering about and that's the 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 mural that's in the video in several shots can you tell me about that uh yeah i i just saw that uh another piece by that same artist in williamsburg uh the other day i work in in that side of brooklyn but the there's no it, it's just a great wall it's one artist who wrote pasta over and over again in different styles, like in different tiles. And it kind of ends up looking like a checker pattern low key, but it's just a dead end alleyway off of a mostly industrial like back corner in near the Gowanus canal area for anybody who knows the stuff I'm talking about. Uh, that was just quiet and had great morning sunlight. And Ali and I, we went around and we started, you know, scouting locations because I we had this idea for what we wanted the the music video to be with this whole walking around thing and also like with that slow motion shot that we got there that was uh, inspired by like all of the '90s and early 2000s music videos that we watched on MTV. They all like use that slow motion or fast motion stuff really really well. And I thought it would be dope to do that, but we wanted something that was interesting that would like, you know, the 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 whole, you know, the band in that scene is just like messing around, doing uh, dumb stuff in the background. And uh, we wanted something that was just going to be visually engaging and interesting. And the pasta wall, as it came to be uh, known for us, was a great location. And then uh, later on in the day, we found the other location, which is the walking down the sidewalk. It's just a good uh, chunky sidewalk that then had after good afternoon light so we could split up our day and do the one shot kind of in the morning before lunch before it got really hot and then go home for a couple of hours and then reset to a new location in the afternoon it's just efficient filmmaking you know <laughs> sure the other uh, mural that you saw by this artist what, what what was the style it was a much uh simpler style it was just classic bubble letter graffiti uh no real background you could tell that that was more rushed he didn't have the time that he had on this dead end street um it was just on a the second level of a taller building that he clearly got on the first level of the building next door and just threw it up like i said much much more fast much more rushed just three colors simple bubble letters kind of thing but cool. big up to that artist thank you do you, you don't happen to know their name mm pasta <laughs> that's i think that's yeah that's part of the point uh, <laughs> shout out pasta, <laughs> shout out pasta. <laughs> during the lead up to the record um there was like 
every so often there'd be an Instagram video where you were you were dancing. It was kind of a little like a little dancing video, kind of synchronized. Yeah. Do you guys kind of work on and discuss your dancing yeah. in general for the show? Yeah, I would like to hear about that. Yeah, you know, the the dancing sort of started um, just from being inspired by Allie and Danny's moving uh, music. You know, it's it's music that you can move to. You know, it's good dancing music. And I would find myself in the early gigs um, doing doing similar things in the same places, trying to accentuate hits or trying to show the change in beats um, or in feel to the audience. Um, and there was always a response to it. Uh, so before we went on a tour in 2019, it was going to be my first extended tour with Stop the Presses. Um, Allie and I just started talking and we said, is this something that we want to explore and, and you know, coordinate with the other background singer? Um, and, you know, it's kind of kind of come a, a bigger thing for us, I feel like. Yeah, now Allie and I will talk about what, we want to do and we'll choreograph. We have, you know, sectionals where we do dance rehearsals and vocal sectionals together. Um, so yeah, it's definitely coordinated. Um, it's something we put a lot of thought and, and energy and love into um, in hopes that it'll inspire other people to feel confident and comfortable dancing. I just want to add like, you know, Danny and I were watching um, this documentary, the Danny, which one was it? The, uh, the Scott movie, which Scott in the nineties, Scott in the nineties, yeah. And there was this like, there's this thing that like happens at our shows is like our music is like yes, it's Scott and it's rock steady, it's very danceable, but and there's a groove, but there's like a lot of stuff going on, and like sometimes people don't know what to do when they're watching our sets. They're like they just watch, you know, they're watchers. And Danny and I were watching that documentary, and I think it was Hefcat was talking about. Um, I don't know. What was the show? Like, I feel like Danny, you know more a little bit about this. It was like in, in, yeah, the middle of the country, like Nebraska and stuff, people didn't know how to dance to the music at all. And they were like, at first, like offended by it or hurt that like, yeah, do these people don't like us or, or, you know, they don't care about what we're doing or, or they're, and they didn't, they were like commiserating to a, a fellow musician. And then somebody suggested to them is like, no, dude, you, they literally don't know how to dance to this. Yeah. And it was like, you know, Carol already is such a great dancer. Like, you know, she's a lot of fun on stage and it was like, you know, we, Danny and I love like a lot of like those big, like Tina Turner's like shows, you know what I mean? Like, um, we like, we're in a wedding band together. Like actually the three of us are at the, our whole like band is, but, um, we like watching old, like Tina Turner, uh, videos, like live shows and her, just her dancers were just incredible. These background singing dancers. And like, you know, you see the Bruno Mars or you see a uh, weekend, like you see you, or you see like just, just all of these people, like the temptations. Yeah. Motown movement. Yeah. That, that shit's big too. Yeah. You know what? This is kind of like, maybe this is something we can kind of incorporate a little bit more and, um, having, uh, you know, the time to get together and dance to the songs is like really, really <laughs> fun. <laughs> the band is called Stop the Presses. When you guys go to work and work as a wedding band, what's that called? <laughs> oh, that's a different title. That's actually Jack, our drummer's band. Um, and it's called The Chromantics. Yeah, if anyone's getting married, what's up? Yeah, it's like a big 10 or 11 piece band. Oh, so it's like an expanded ensemble. 
yeah, this is like a, you know, like we're, we're doing what all the hits. <laughs> like, are you doing like uh, R&B hits or like from what era? It's 50 years of pop music. It's like really does like from the late 60s all the way up. It's just wedding music. <laughs> we play wedding music. <laughs> What's a song that just hits always every wedding? Oh, God, Sweet Caroline. <laughs> it's all right i don't know why i'm knocking it so much it's fine it's we all oh and i want to dance with somebody give me a break that's it every and if you don't have it at a wedding like what are you even how, why are you even getting married <laughs> yeah or like modern stuff like treasure treasure hits hard all the Bruno Mars is so much fun to play. I do like just keys in the wedding band and like, I love playing all of that. So much fun. The new record got it. It was a COVID record. It's meaning I, meaning you didn't, I assume you didn't start it until after COVID. Um, that we, is that, that is, I think we, uh, yeah. Right. Danny, what's the timeline on this? Yeah. I don't remember when exactly. So we recorded make the best of it and, or rather, we recorded the rhythm tracks for Make the Best of It and See with Jay at his new location of Stabby Road, uh, Agent Jay, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of the Slackers. Um, <laughs> and uh, he had moved into a new spot and got this sick basement and started putting together a proper studio. And he needed to check sounds and we needed a track for a comp that we were like late for. That's a running theme here. You'll, you'll, you'll hear a lot of that. <laughs> I, know, um, I know that same theme over here. Yeah, we recorded the rhythm tracks for Make the Best of It and See in one day, just like getting the room together over there. And they sounded so dope. And so we had to run to get just Make the Best of It done and See kind of sat in, in a room for a year. And then I think that that was like right before um, the pandemic. Um, no, it can't be. That's too late. That's too early. No, it had to have been right between the lockdowns. Yeah. Um, because we were wearing masks. Yeah. We were, we had, right. We were wearing masks. Like, that's, that's, that's the real test. Was I wearing a mask? <laughs> yeah. da- Danny, how do you feel about recording in a mask versus not recording in a mask? Um, I play guitar, so it doesn't matter at all. <laughs> yeah, but I play guitar too. But I feel much better wearing a mask because nobody can see the stupid faces I make when I play guitar. <laughs> You know, that's actually a phenomenal point. I was going to say that about like being on the sidewalk or being on the subway. Like, I feel like the amount of anonymity I get yeah. on the subway now is killer because of the mask. But I, I will stand behind you on that one, Adam, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was here. I heard an interview or read an interview um, with you guys in like late 2019. And there was like a, yeah, we're, we're going for it. We're, you know, things are about to pick up for us. So was that really the case where you guys kind of really derailed from COVID in terms of your plans? Absolutely. I had to cancel our entire tour. That was a lot. We were going to leave like on March 13th and uh, New York City went into lockdown that day, I think. Yep. We were supposed to be touring our new record, you know, uh, after all this stuff and we also had a few like much bigger local shows planned we were we were going to play a an agrolite show that it was just going to be us and the agrolites at the at the knitting factory 
And like all of these were like these dominoes that started to fall and people reaching out to us and then they completely disappeared. Oof. Yeah. Oh, and Pusafest and um and Supernova. And that was like and then again, like having to cancel, I think it was like a two and a half week tour and I you know, just having to reach out and cancel all those dates. Um it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that you went to start working on a new record earlier than you would have? Um, yeah, maybe, maybe because there was a lot of downtime. I feel like there was a lot of downtime, although I will say that like we do purposely try in the fall Like right now it's about to get cold in the North here and in uh, New York. And so we do try like at this time to write the music, which we, I suppose we were already planning to do that. Um, but you know, it gave everybody a little bit more time. The record cover, Pineapple, is there a story behind why there's a pineapple on the cover of the record? I like that it's a pineapple. It's unique. I just want to know. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a marrying yeah, of a couple of different ideas. We play this weird road game called Got It, or we call it Got It. Um, it's got a few different names, but it's like a mind meld game where you say Got It, and then you wait for somebody else to say Got It, and that means that you both have thought of a word. And then you go count down, okay, one, two, three, and you say the word at the same time then you take those two words and you try to come up with a middle point based on word association. And then you whittle that down to you two, to the two per- people finally say the same word at the same time. And sitting or standing in a parking lot, waiting for food on one of our tour, on one of our tour stops in the, in 2021, it was the family reunion tour uh, right after in, in between lockdowns, I think uh, in between lockdown two and three. Um, we're just waiting for our food. Jack says, got it. I say, got it. And we look at each other. One, two, three, pineapple. (laughs) This was like a week into the tour. Yeah. Yeah. We'd been like on each other for a week and plus already. And we both like, everybody just kind of went silent. Everybody was like in their (laughs) conversations and stuff. And just like, kind of like looked up and was like, did that just happen? (laughs) (laughs) First time ever. First time ever. And Jack uh, was the one who introduced the game to us, and he'd apparently been playing it for years and has never had that happen with anybody. There's like, this is one of those dumb things in the world where it, it matters and it also doesn't really matter. Uh, Jack, Steve, our drummer, and myself are all Sagittarius's. Jack uh, is on the 20th, but Steve and I both have uh, the same birthday, December 3rd. Um, but we share this like uncanny connection sometimes that's that's phenomenal. And you know, like I said, it does it's it's BS, it doesn't mean anything, but it somehow always means something as well. I like it, you know, it's um when you have something that's just per, has a, just some personal meaning or personal coincidence, like a like a pineapple, like it just catches you. It just when you look at it when you don't have any knowledge of what went into making that, you're just like, Oh, a pineapple, it's just different. It's just like it catches your eye in a in a unique way. Like if you use Scott, like typically Scott imagery, it wouldn't catch you because sort of conditioned for that. That is a an actual consideration. We purposely try to stay away from it. Money in the bank was also that um, for us. Yeah. Uh, we wanted to stay away from like a picture of ourselves or going with like a retro thing or anything that would be more in the ska vein uh, and maybe like a little more timeless yeah. and not uh, of its period. All of that is on purpose. I'm pretty curious about the guitar tone. You want to talk a little bit about your tone? Sure. Um, I don't know. I'm not technical about guitars, but it strikes me as kind of a unique tone for the music you play. Oh my gosh. Thank you. <laughs> uh, 
this is the other portion of of the album cover also is that Ali and I kind of are have been like super obsessed with space lately like this idea of like cowboys versus aliens um or something and the pineapple's kind of in space it's because the movie we saw the movie yeah like we just we're there right now that's where we're at (laughs) my guitar influences are super varied and they're kind of all over the place but they all sit um either in the world of like early pop you know beatles kinks uh that kind of thing then into psychedelia of like pink floyd and like you know even like can or tortoise and like that kind of weird ass stuff um and then into like real 80s and uh 90s metal metallica slayer um you know the big four all that kind of stuff and um Mm -hmm. and then the very last little button of that is honestly my local hero um our producer on our first two records and kind of like just my personal guru growing up is this guy named Bernie Coipel, who's like a weirdo. And, um, and he was like this, this like force for good in our community. And one of the biggest things that he did was just introduce me to a ton of music. And he's a phenomenal player who will just like, you know, live in his hometown forever. And that's great. Um, but yeah, I'm like kind of into like that open uh, wah sound, like kind of in the middle of the wah pedal range sound um using both my pickups for a lot of stuff sometimes getting into the tail but not completely so there's like a there's a bottom end to the top end that cuts through and um you know i like a lot of i like uh, especially on the records i like to use a lot of tremolo which is very um stylistically period correct between like 60s to 80s and also correct for the genre in a lot of different ways um and it's just like everything else that we do, our, our music is one foot in the past and one foot in the future as much as possible. And I think the guitar tone is doing that. I also use like this amp uh, on purpose. It's it's the Fender, I'm sorry, it's the Fender clone made by PV. It's the PV Classic series that they made in the early 90s that's like kind of got like this fakeness of the 80s PV metal solid state sound but then mixed with real tube electronics, you know, of a, of a 60s, 70s Fender. Um, and it just sounds kind of dreamy and weird. And it's like David Bowie in a box. Um, <laughs> <laughs> those are all the pieces. Fascinating, though. So I want to talk about earlier this year, I believe, your, your RV broke down on tour. Yeah, tragically. I want to talk about that specific incident, then I want to talk about your RVs okay. in general. Okay. <laughs> so first off, tell people what happened. You were on tour somewhere in like, uh, was it like Texas or Louisiana? We were on our way to Louisiana. We were on our way to New Orleans. Um, and we were going through... Um, Alabama. Alabama. Yes, Alabama. We were, we were like... It was like Sunday, like we just did the first leg of our tour with um, um, Deals on Slack. Slack. Yeah, and it was wonderful, right? And um, yeah, and then it was like that Sunday afternoon, we had like two days off. So we're like, great, we can get to NOLA and we're going to like stay there. Um, Jack's sister has has an Airbnb there. So we're like, oh, this is going to be wonderful. And we're going through like we just got right outside of like Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And her, you know, 
Jack's driving the van. All of a sudden, there's like smoke. Boop, boop, boop. I think I was like napping at the time because the great thing about the RV is that you've got like your own beds and everything, so you can you can sleep. Um, but anyway, Danny was like, "All right, I think that's it for this," and we're like, "No, it's gonna be fine." And um, he, you know, he, he knows Danny is like kind of a fixer up, or you can do anything. Um, but anyway, kind of knew right upon looking at it. No, this is major. So being that what time it was, it was already like five o'clock when we broke down on a Sunday we're on the side of the highway on a Sunday. We're on the highway in the Nothing's Bible open. belt, in the Bible belt, in the Bible. belt. Nothing's open. So we slept in the RV on the side of the highway that night. It was terrifying. Um, and the minute that we woke up and, you know, we called, you know, of course, like our, like good Sam, they can't like tow a, well, they ended up, they ended up towing it. Right, Danny? Yeah. That, that was the problem is that it's an RV. You need a decent sized rig to get it. And they couldn't find right. anybody on Sunday night. And even it took them half of Monday to find somebody for us. Oh yeah. It was awful. Where did you have to get a towed, to- towed to? To Tuscaloosa, which was like an hour behind us. We were like 20 minutes from NOLA, yeah. but it's like an, there's nothing for an hour on either side of those state borders. Um, so anyway, so we got a toad um, at this just local place. Um, these people were so kind. They let us stay there on the property for like, you know, that Monday. Um, and for half of Tuesday, like we left Tuesday night. But um, we ended up leaving our, you know, our, our RV there. It was uh, it had blown a hole, a piston right through the engine, and um, and that was kind of it for for our dolly. That's what we named her was Dolly. Um, so we ended up leaving her there, and you know we did a GoFundMe just for about five grand, which was what it was going to be to co- like cost us to get to rentals so that we could do the the rest of our tour, we were scheduled to play South by Southwest in Austin, Texas, like, you know, on Wednesday. So it was just like Tuesday was supposed to be NOLA. Then it was supposed to be the South by Southwest showcase. It was, you know, we really wanted to make the rest of the tour happen. Um, And like it was 24 hours and we had the $5,000 to help us with the, you know, the financial burden of doing the rest of the tour, which was just absolutely incredible. And, um, you know, I don't, you know, we didn't even think about like having, you know, doing more. And it was even Carol was like, you know, these people are all like doing this for you guys and for us. And, um, we should really extend it a little bit more just to help because, you know, Danny and I really do fund a lot of this, um, you know, it's a, it's a lot, you know, it costs a lot to go on the road and we want to make sure, you know, that um everyone's comfortable and all of that so anyway so we did uh 10 grand and we got 10 grand within a week it was or no within i'm sorry within like three weeks um and it's just incredible and it's really really moving i think about it all the time and just how so many people uh supported us and really got us through not only the rest of that tour, but helped us to have some capital for our new bus, which we just got Catalina. And we couldn't have done that really without the help of our fans and friends. Just like what an incredible scene. It was amazing. Now Catalina is your third RV. This is actually the fourth. It's third. Right? No, it's the third one. 
uh, Ethel, Dolly, and Catalina. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about Ethel. <laughs> this is your first. This is your first RV for the band. She was um she was a cool purchase. We got it off of some some guy who was like a boat captain and just had every kind of auxiliary vehicle you could imagine in his yard. He had like jet skis and four wheelers and mopeds and motorcycles and just everything. And he had this RV that he'd half taken apart and couldn't and got too deep into. And I offered him, you know, a couple of bucks for it. RVs are very, very cheap, y'all. Um, they're they're really cheap, especially in the southeast and the southwest. Um, they're much more approachable than you think. You you always take a bath on it when you try to resell them. They're usually very low mileage engines, um, and if you catch them at at the right like age period, it's kind of like a piano. You don't want to pay full price for a piano. You want to get a piano that's like twenty years old. That's the perfect piano. And it's this kind of the same thing with RVs. Like you want to get an RV that's like 15 years old. Um, that's the right number. <laughs> so then, okay. When does Dolly come into the picture? Um, Dolly came in in, t- in 2019 um, because it, we, that's like, it was right after we did money in the bank. Um, Danny and I, again, we went like upstate. We went and looked, actually I sold my piano. I sold my Boston. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that we could buy uh, Dolly and we went up and kind of a similar story uh, the man that had the RV uh, had also started doing work on it and this one was a little bit more gutted than our previous RV um, but then Danny and I had like a couple of months and I mean, you know, we, we got renovated it. We completely took everything out. Danny put in installed bunk beds. Um, it was incredible. Like, you know, kind of watch it. Um, like I said, the man does a lot. <laughs> I'm very thankful to have someone like that. Was this the first time that you had a bed for everybody when you got to Dolly? Yeah. yeah. In Ethel, yeah. Ethel, like we couldn't do a lot of stuff to it because it was kind of in original condition and I was scared to do it. And then we ended up moving to New York before like we had too much time with her. But then Dolly was yeah. um, had had some water damage and uh, somebody had already taken out all of that bad wood and replaced it and everything. So it was kind of in raw shape, at least halfway raw shape. And we took out the kitchen additionally to that and added four bunk beds. Plus the like over cab canopy sleeps two people. So Allie and I would sleep there above the, the cab and everybody had their own bed every night, everywhere that we went, which was very nice. And their memory phone. Wow. Fancy. Very comfortable. Did you really bring dogs, puppies with you on the tour? Yeah, every tour. <laughs> they come with us everywhere. Who, whose dogs? They're me and Danny's dogs. What are your dogs' names? Pepper and Betty. Pepper and Betty. Okay. And so um, what happens? Do, do they stay in the RV during the show? Yeah, we, um, we like run our generator and they, you know, they're, they're tiny dogs. They love it. As long as they're with us, you know, and they love our bandmates <laughs> so much. They're just, they're just happy. And it's a little bit of like an emotional support thing. Like, I don't know what it is. It, it, <laughs> it definitely makes me so happy all the time. It feels like home, you know? They're the best dogs ever. Uh, very grateful to have them on tour with us. Seriously, it, it makes like a huge difference for everybody to have 
them and their cute little faces and their wiggly butts on the bus whenever you get back in. <laughs> and then, so the, the, I forgot the name of the new RV, the current RV. Catalina. 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 Okay. Catalina Sporty Spice. <laughs> <laughs> Is her full name. Tell, tell us a little bit about this one. What's, what's the state of Catalina? Sporty Spice. Uh, Catalina is like by far the newest and in best condition bus that we've bought. Um, really, the yeah, it was about having enough capital at the right time. You know, that's the secret to life that people don't understand about poverty is that you just never get the capital. So you can't move. Um, you you got to be ready for when the when the opportunity strikes. And we, we were just cruising Craigslist constantly and RV Trader and like all the, you know, the, the haunts. We weren't in a rush. So it was just like we, we spotted this one and we could take our time, you know, getting a good price and everything. And the guy was asking for a lot. He was asking for almost 10 grand and we had nowhere near that. <laughs> and we offered him like seven. <laughs> and um, he, it took like a month. Uh, it took like five weeks kind of just like I, I went to go see it he, he was like yeah I can't take that and I was like all right well look just keep me around if it doesn't work out I'm very serious and I would text him every Monday hey and he'd like not yet I'm like cool and then next Monday hey not yet cool and then I finally gave up after five weeks I was just like all right I'm not going to text him anymore and dude that Sunday night he texted me with hey are you still interested and um I sneakingly drove up there with Steve uh, one Wednesday, the, the following Wednesday and just grabbed it, brought it down to Brooklyn and then took a bunch of pictures of us being inappropriate all over it uh, and sent it <laughs> to the band. <laughs> that was so great. Okay, so the Stop the Presses forms in like 2010 in South Florida. Yeah. So Danny and Allie, you're from South Florida. Tell me a little bit about where you're from. Um, I'm actually... From I was born and raised in like West Palm Beach, like Palm Beach County, West Palm Beach. I moved mm -hmm. to Miami uh, when I was 18 to go to a school down there uh, to go to conservatory. And um, I think I was already like a year or two in my undergrad. And I was, you know, I, I've always played classical piano my whole life. Um, and that's what I was studying for um, at the time. And, uh, you know, but also I'm like a 90s kid. So I just love, uh, you know ska and punk rock and so i was just looking for a project and at the time i was just looking you know just like i had i had some songs and i was like i need to find a band to like play these songs with me blah, blah, whatever and i'm on myspace and like i don't know a whole lot about miami i like lived in downtown near uh i went to new world school of the arts so i just lived there and i like you know i look on myspace and there's an ad for surf punk ska band only right left in Hialeah. And I was like, where's Hialeah? And Hialeah is, is where Danny's from. And it's honestly shaped so much, I feel like, of who we are. At, well, at least who I became as a, as a songwriter and a musician. It's a, a, a wonderful, um, very artistic community um, that Danny can sp speak more about because it's his hometown. Yeah, tell us about Hialeah. Hialeah is the second highest only speaking Spanish population city in the U.S. Uh, so in that city, more people speak only Spanish than anywhere else except for one place. 
and that one place is the neighboring town Hylia Gardens. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am Cuban. Uh, my parents are Cuban exiles. They met in in Hialeah, and I was uh, born and raised there. I was raised in Spanish. I the first eight years that I was in the job market, like in the, the world, I worked in Spanish. I worked as, at Walgreens as like a store clerk from like fifteen to nineteen, and then. At like sign companies and different stuff like that and real estate companies and everything was in Spanish. I just grew up Latin, uh, which is weird because you would have never guessed that looking at me. Um, and, you know, thankfully being in New York has cleaned up my accent a lot, uh, both in English and in Spanish. But Hialeah's got this like really cool feeling that's kind of an extension of Cubanness, which is kind of like a fuck you, we're going to do our own thing. Don't touch our shit because we, you know, Every time anybody's ever tried to touch our shit, it's gone really badly. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of people just doing exactly what they want to do out there. And that's even part of the musical attitude. There's really cool, weird stuff that's influenced from so many different places and so many different people. And it is kind of like this culture that doesn't assimilate, but the musicians know the songs, you know, like, and it, all infiltrates so there's like you know great cool syncopation and weird rhythms but there's also like blaring distorted guitar you know and there's people like screaming but it's not in a language you've heard before and like all of that was very much on display for me from a very young age and like I said I had this wonderful uh local influence in my life that uh once again Fernie Coipel from a beautiful band named Humbert uh, down there that was just like the best weirdo possible. He goes around and does like recording engineering as a um, as a thing for career day, like goes to elementary schools. I met him originally when I was like 12. I was a Boy Scout and he came to my Boy Scout troop to show uh, 16 millimeter uh, vintage cartoons like Mr. Magoo and stuff like that. Um, and I already like knew that he was a musician, but then the drummer of that band was an English teacher in my middle school. And they used to do this like middle school concert every year that they would show the kids what like rock and roll looked like. And, um, it was an incredible lesson from very young about how to do what to do. We got to go to a real recording studio with a really patient guy who like honestly taught me to play to a click. You know, Um, (laughs) thank God. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And, you know, all of those like lessons are are just beyond invaluable. Um, He even got a city, he even got a day um, from the city council. I went to, I went to a a thing, a meeting where they gave him a a plaque that it's actually coming up. October 23rd is is Fernie Coipel Day in the city of Hialeah. So, yeah, we like Hialeah has its own water treatment facility. It has its own library separate from the rest of Miami-Dade County. We have our own police force. We have our own everything. We want nothing from you. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the vibe, dude. And that's like that DIY spirit is through everything that we do. Was there much happening in reggae ska before you started the band? No, not that so much. Like. Um, like Ali said, we're nineties kids, like MTV was on and like, we listened to a lot of punk rock. Um, and then I, you know, I was in marching band in high school, which is the answer to that question always. Um, and I was, you know, in marching band in high school in the early two thousands. And then when you learn a little bit more about music and you're like, wait a minute, wait, you can put horns on this. Uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> and then like you know you start working your way back to uh and I've, I've spoken about this before but it, for me specifically it was very weird because i went back through you know the 90s third wave california to two-tone in england and then realizing that that's all a product of jamaican folks leaving you know jamaica and going over there and like you know the 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 skinheads and two-tone all that stuff being all connected and then realizing that um you know a third of the satellites are cuban born or half cuban in some way or another and realizing that the cubans have been there from the beginning was weird for me um it was a it was a weird way to come home it was like a this full circle thing that was just like oh cool yeah i think a lot of people I don't know why it's right. It's right there. Like some of the Scottalite songs, the Cuban elements are pretty, <laughs> pretty overt. Like yeah, they don't, they don't hide it, but yeah, I don't, people don't really bring it up much. Roland Alfonso. It was, it's, uh, it's really, especially in those early recordings, it's all because of him. Cause he, he ran the horn line. And um, I was talking to some old Jamaican cat. That was just my Uber driver one day. It was a record collector. And he, and he told me, I, I, I am yet to like fully verify this, but he told me that Jamaican music originally didn't have horns. It was the Cubans that brought it from the Jamaican or from the Cuban dance halls um, that were much more modeled after American jazz that then uh, got brought over to Jamaica for the same reason for the, for the tourism. So your first show is um, October 30th, 2010 is the first stop the presses show. Uh, Yeah, that was our first show. It's Halloween show, basically. Yeah. At uh, the shack, which is Danny keeps bringing up Fernie Coipel, who uh, we both look up to as a mentor and uh, just, you know, great, a great person to shape who we become. And um, it was at his, he has like a rehearsal space slash venue and Hialeah. And it was at the shack. Halloween shows become a tradition for Stop the Presses, right? Yeah. Yeah, we love it. More and more elaborate. At one point, you perform, it's pronounced nuclear. Oh, my God. How are you yeah. finding this? Tell us what it's pronounced nuclear is. Um, we were part of an artistic collective. Once again, all of this stuff is, uh, we were weirdos. We wanted to do our own things and be our own community. We had this thing called the artistic artist collective extravaganza that was visual artists, painters, dancers, um, performers, circus folk, uh, stand-up comedians, you know, musicians and all this stuff. And we wanted to do all of these like immersive um, top to bottom experience shows. And they were all like, you know, kind of scripted and emceed and you'd walk through and appreciate art mixed with music in certain ways. And they were all like varying degrees of complex. And one of the most complex was the carnival of horrors that we were going to do, which was this big Halloween party that I, um, my piece was going to be a 20 minute musical about the end of the world. Um, and the unfortunate bit about this is that in Florida, it rains and it rains for real. Um, and that night we got literally just 12 inches of water for no reason. Um, the parking lot in this series of warehouses flooded into the warehouses. Several people lost 
hundreds of thousands of dollars of stuff in these warehouse blocks because of this flooding. We had to set up sandbags to even just keep the the it, yeah, it into the front room. People um like nobody came. It was like hours and hours of just rain and rain and rain and then finally it stopped raining around 10 o'clock 10 30 at night and people just started showing up driving in the water i mean let's be real though like nothing starts at, in miami like before 10 o'clock <laughs> <laughs> so we we made it happen people showed up in costumes and this was part of like we always did these big halloween parties that got bigger and bigger and um this was the biggest one we were ever attempting and I wrote this musical called It's Pronounced Nuclear uh, about um, it, basically there was some ridiculous computer error and um, all of the nuclear weapons in the U.S. stronghold were going to detonate uh, or rather we're going to yeah um, go out and detonate in random locations all over the world and there was no way to stop it and it was going to decimate 95% of the population. This is on the day after Christmas, and we come into this stoner girl named Lucy in her apartment who, like, can't even be bothered to show up to work. Um, and she turns on the news and finds out that the world is ending. So then just as that happens, her conspiracy theorist next door neighbor um, bangs on her door and says, like, dude, did you hear that? We need to get out of here. We need to do something. We need to figure out a way to get to a shelter. We're close enough to D.C. And he pulls out this big extravagant map of all of the closest nuclear uh, shelters that he can get to. Uh, and they, like, you know, devise a plan to get to one of the shelters. And as they get out onto the sidewalk, some uh, nuclear physicist is dumped out of a white van in front of them on the sidewalk and uh, explains that he tried to warn the president about this uh, months ago. But uh, they put the military in charge of the investigation. They basically uh, accused him of being a terrorist and tortured him for months. And then, you know, obviously got nowhere because the guy didn't know anything. But he has a plan. And if they can just get to X location and he can get to a computer, he can fix the, the computer error and save the world. Will they make it? <laughs> when are you going to record this as a record? <laughs> We keep saying we're going to it like it never it will come to fruition. Yeah. I have actually since then added like okay. three or four more songs and a couple more scenes. Um, it is my dream to one day get it performed in New York. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like keep telling Danny like he's got to finish it. The songs were really, really great. Um, it was a really fun project uh, to, to be a part of as well. What, what year was this production? 2012 2013 yeah okay yeah and it was it was um i was lucy and then our drummer at the time gus rojo was um the neighbor hank hank so we both got to like you know it was it was another like just kind of fun crossover thing the music is like a rock you know rock and roll musical so the music was really really awesome i was going to ask earlier but um hurricane ian how did your area I know you didn't live there and you don't live there now, but how did that, was that area? We're East coast. So it didn't like affect it too much. It just rained really bad, you know, for our mm -hmm. family, but we do have friends and many um, friends in the scene um, that are, that are over there. And I, you know, I checked in, you know, to make sure people are okay. Carol has some, um, her family has a house there too. So it was, yeah, it was pretty bad. Yeah. 
awful. When does the move to New York happen? And is it just Danny and Allie? Is it just the two of you that moved to New York? Yeah, we got married in um, 2015. And at that time, we were just like, you know, we, we'd been trying to tour and everything outside of Florida. And it's really hard to tour in Florida. It's a very large <laughs> state. <laughs> and it takes, you know, like you got to do like two weekends to get out of Florida. No, it, it, it's very hard. So um, I have some family in the Northeast, um, which, you know, was important to me to, you know, I wanted to be near my family. Um, if I was going to move anywhere, we're both kind of East Coast people. Um, so we got married in February on Valentine's Day of 2015. And we decided that we would, that summer um, in May, start looking at apartments. And I think we moved in, um, it was like July 3rd, right? Or July 2nd of 2015. So we've we're been in New York for seven years now. You did the Warp Tour in 2014. Would, did that inspire you to want to, you know, take the band to the next level sort of thing? Oh, 100%. I mean, Danny and I have always been like really like into this, like this is what we love to do. You know, we met, um, like I said, I auditioned for the band. It was a different band that was in, in 2009, right, Danny? Eight. 2008. We started, we were, I was in his band only, only right left. And at we met and we just were, we just hit, became friends and we wrote a lot of the songs together and we just were very much of like, um, on the same page, we just kind of both got it. And mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, we wanted to take it to the next level and we just kind of had a few false starts. So we were like a little change of scenery. Maybe it will help us. You know, New York is no joke. We moved to New York <laughs> and, and it took us a while to get acclimated just to get used to the city. Um, we weren't, you know, used to how fast everything is here. And like people, like I said, no joke. You're, you're playing with some really heavy hitting musicians here. Um, it, it, you know, it beat, beat the shit out of us. We, we got here and it wasn't until I think 2017 that we started playing in New York. So Carol, how did you meet them? Uh, so much like Allie met Danny on a MySpace post. Um, I met Allie through a Facebook post. Uh, she posted in New York city musicians connect looking for a background singer for a gig. Uh, you know, hit me up. And I did, uh, you know, we, we played a gig, I think it must've been October of 2017. And I think maybe your guys's first show in New York city. Um, but yeah, I I was so great. I'm so grateful that I responded to that message. I, I think about all the Craigslist, uh, ads I responded to all the Facebook ads I responded to. And here I am five years later, um, still playing with these people. And I'm so, so grateful for that. Money in the Bank, that's your so your first album as a new band. I, I mean, you f- it kind of feels like you're a new band, right? At this point, when you after New York, yeah, yeah, we're 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 a new band, and I feel like that Money in the Bank feels like a, a, a big step forward, and and you can hear there's definitely similarities sonically and musically with Money in the Bank and uh, Got It. But some of that, uh, obviously, it's the new lineup, but it's all some of that's uh, working with uh, 
Agent J, which you did for both those records, right? Right. Did you know him before you started working on Money in the Bank? No. Uh, well, you look, when we were in Miami, we did play with the Slackers when they would tour down there at Churchill's, um, which was our like local spot. And so we knew them through that, but no, like we didn't have a working relationship. Danny and I were super scared. We were like, we got here and we're like, all right, we got these songs together. You know, let's, let's ask him, you know, what's he going to say? Like, you know, like, Hey, would you like to work on this record with us? And like, what if he says no? And, um, he's so wonderful. He was like, like, we, like I'm telling you, we really were like very nervous. And he was just like, yeah, send me the tunes. Let's do it. You know, now, I've read a few interviews where you um, he asked what you were going for, and you said 60s to 70s influence. Yeah, somewhere between the 60s and the 80s uh, definitely is. 60s and 80s, that's what I meant. So can you expand on what you mean by that? Ali and I are both like really big fans, like humongous, stupid, crazy Beatles fans. Um, poured over it, own anthologies, own the same, we have like the same records of our Beatles records that we've had before we met that we've never gotten rid of the duplicates. Um, like the songwriting, the recording techniques, the harmonies, the fascination, the kind of like, no matter what, it's still pop. Like all of it was mind blowing to us as songwriters. And like this, this is honestly the, the cornerstone of why it works with us because like Ali and I work as songwriters together as a team so very very well um and then the the same thing we're both like into psychedelia and you know uh and we're both into like new wave because all the keyboard sounds the synth sounds the guitar tones all that like weirdness but still happiness we're bit we're both like big big fans of pop uh and those those ranges of like those those ingredients are what you hear on our stuff really tight harmonies really like pop forward sensibilities with some weirdness that like you could miss if you don't, if you're not looking for them, but if you're looking for them, you're like, <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, and, and uh, that was always like the thing. And I, we, we weren't like tight yet until money. And like Ali and I became much better songwriters. We learned more about the genre, which like informed the way that we write much more now with, um, making sure we're using the right drum beats, you know, like the, the bass drum on the right. And the whole point, like the whole goal now is to make sure you keep moving. You, you have to keep moving. You can think, but you can't stop and think. You have to move and think. And uh, yeah, the 60s to the 80s, kind of like dreamy washiness, kind of like that plate, you know, open plate reverb on the voice, uh, yeah. uh, the space echo stuff, you know, in, that's used... Uh, in in early dub and everything and honestly jake gets that real well i think that even crazy bald head has that t kind of overall tone in their music as as well yeah so when we gave jay our influences and showed him our songs our demos and things that we liked um yeah he really just got it and uh, i'm not i swear to you i'm not doing that on purpose he really, he really understood what we were saying. So anyway, um, <laughs> and um, yeah, just love uh, having him having him involved with us. Band has um, doesn't have horns. You have the, the, a lot of use of keyboards uh, and uh, vocal harmonies. Yes, this is all very intentional. 
in terms of your vision. Can you talk about the, each of these three components, why they're important to stop the presses and how they sort of interact with each other? Well, Danny and I also have, have always been big fans of harmony in, in our songwriting and our music. Um, and definitely two and three part harmonies. We, we love a lot of the studio one records. We love a lot of like, you know, early Jimmy and Ska, the Heptones is a wonderful, you know, trio. Um, and Toots and the Maytals as well. The songwriting, how it lends itself, uh, to a lot of, uh, call and response. Um, so I think that that is definitely a component that we've always tried to keep. And then, you know, Danny and I are both melodic, you know, we play melodic instruments. Um, so, and I think maybe this even goes to that psychedelic kind of writing again and score and score writing. Um, as I said, I have like a classical background and a lot of the, you know, uh, instrumental music that I, that I've been influenced from, um, is even like orchestral in a way. So arrangement has been a big part of our music and having parameters sometimes of like, you know, we only have the piano or, you know, an organ and, and a guitar and how can we make this interesting between the two of us? Um, without having to add horns, without having to add more players. <laughs> um, and I, I think it's like really expanded us and, and helped our creativity a lot. In terms of the harmonies, this is for, this is for Allie and for Carol, um, what's the process of coming up with the harmonies? Danny and I demo a lot of the music beforehand. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times... Um, it's me at home just singing over and over and over again. Um, and then, you know, asking Carol to lend her beautiful voice uh, to the harmonies. So the, the new record, uh, you're, you, you've been working with uh, Jump Up on this new record. Yeah, it's so wonderful. This, is this the first time? Has it been self-released up into this point? Yes, Money in the Bank was self-released. And then with Got It, we started getting into the room and we were, you know, playing some of the songs kind of, um, actually, I think it was over the pandemic. So we were just playing them like on live streams and stuff, demoing them that way. And, um, you know, we kind of put out like a little feeler to see like, oh, writing some songs. Is anyone interested in maybe putting out some tunes for us? And Chuck had responded. And Danny and I, of course, we knew Jump Up Records. So um, we started getting a dialogue going. And he's, it's just been really great to have, you know, finally someone helping us put out our music. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful. And it's like, we're very, very thankful to Chuck and everything that he's done. He puts out some really great records and he, you know, has always great ideas. Um, and was able to put out Got It on, you know, vinyl, cassette, and CD, which has just been a, one a, just a great help to us. Do you guys like listening to music on cassette? Music on cassette is so cool. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, the, the bass response on, on, on cassette I had forgotten about until we listened to our own music. It's like, oh my God, that's right. The low end on tape is incredible. It's perfect for the genre. Was that was that one of the dogs? That was Pepper. She wants to go in the other room. <laughs> Did you do the full warp tour in 2019 as well, or just parts? 
we only did New Jersey. We played in Holden, New Jersey. And we played with the Shearer Girl stage. We've um, kept a relationship with um, Shira from Shearer Girl. And just, I, I'm, she's, she's so awesome. I don't know if anyone knows of like her music and what she does for like women and the punk rock scene and, and non-binary folks. She's incredible. The closing song on the, on God, it is called A I W T D I S. Could you talk a little bit about the song? Sure. Yeah. The song is called Iwadis. Yeah. All I want to do is sleep. Yeah. All I want to do is sleep. It's an acronym that we made up. Um, this is just something that I said, right, Danny? Yeah, we were we were on a couch, um, on like just uh, out of town. We took a quick vacation to like an Airbnb in the middle of nowhere, and we're like, and we're sitting on the couch, and she's like, "We were supposed to go to the grocery store or something." And she's like, "Oh, all I want to do is sleep." Yeah, we went on a friends trip, and they just all wanted to do all different things, and I was just like, "Yeah, that's, that's all I wanted to do. <laughs> just sleep." <laughs> And yeah, I was like fascinated with the sim- syllables of it. And I was like, ooh, there's something there. What if we did some like, you know, like one of those a- acronym songs or like, like, you know, something chantable. But it's all I want to do is sleep. The ending of the song, you're singing, I want peace. I want peace. Singing I Wadis. I Wadis. Oh, oh, really? Okay. I thought it was I want peace. I was like, wow. <laughs> Bringing it home. <laughs> the same thing. Same difference. I would be. I mean, it'll be on the live version now. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to In Defense of Ska. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you normally stream or download episodes. If you haven't already, grab a copy of my book, In Defense of Ska available at clashbooks.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. It's at In Defense of Ska. And please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com backslash In Defense of Ska. You will get monthly bonus episodes, extended interviews and commentary per episode, and access to the In Defense of Ska Discord. In Defense of Ska would not be possible without the great team that tirelessly works on it every week. So you should go check out their other projects as well. Co-host Adam Davis has an amazing band called Omnigon. Give them a follow on Instagram and Twitter. It's simply at Omnigon. And our editor, Chris Reeves, has a phenomenal record label and podcast called Ska Punk International. For more information, go to skapunkinternational.com. And if you've ever enjoyed one of the highly specific in defense of ska memes floating around the interwebs, it was likely the work of the bands I like only charge $18. Find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And on that note, we leave you by saying ska now more than ever. Ska. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.